The year is 1966. You're sitting at home with your family, and with everyone home from school and work, you're settled down to watch your evening programs on the television. There are three options, the American Broadcasting Company, Columbia Broadcasting System, and the National Broadcasting Company. It's Tuesday, which means that at 8 o'clock, the Red Skelton Hour will be on CBS. Red Skelton was a comedy virtuoso in the early years of television, transitioning from theater to radio to TV, where he hosted a variety show that ran from 1951 to 1971. But before the Red Skelton Hour, CBS had one of its biggest contenders. ABC had bewitched a titan all its own, bound and determined to be one of the biggest sitcoms in television history. It was already in its third season, but it was struggling to beat the writing of two CBS heavyweights. The first was the massively popular sitcom The Beverly Hillbillies, sitting comfortably in its fifth season. But CBS's other big show, a newcomer to the scene, was an animal adventure show, produced by MGM Studios and starring a little-known actor by the name of Marshall Thompson. It was called Doctari, and for four years, CBS would use it to fill Tuesday evenings with animal adventures to great success. Doctari, which is the Swahili word for doctor, focused on a man named Dr. Marsh Tracy, a veterinarian who cared for wild African animals in a hospital in the eastern region of the African continent. Every episode would focus on a different creature in need and would follow Dr. Tracy, his daughter, and even some of his pet animals off on a quest of some kind. It's actually a sequel to a movie called Clarence the Cross-Eyed Lion, which focused on the same human characters as well as the eponymous lion, played by a real lion named Clarence. The tagline for this movie, by the way, is as follows, quote, "So funniest safari you'll ever see. Gangway, here he comes, Clarence the Cross-Eyed Lion, end quote. I couldn't move on without telling you that. Anyway, Doctari was a success, mostly due in part to the animal actors that made their appearances in every episode. In the title sequence, the human characters peer into elephant mouths, press stethoscopes to the side of cheetahs, go for a jeep ride with Clarence and his chimpanzee sidekick named Judy, and even ride on the back of a lion, which I'm not sure you're supposed to do. Watching clips of this show, no doubt, it is a kid show. There is certainly drama, but the misadventures are never quite so serious, and Judy the Chimp often does flips and tricks and mugs to the camera. For example, in the season 3 premiere called Judy and the Astro Chimp, Judy gets confused for a chimp named Sally who is trained by NASA to be an astronaut. Remember, this is 1968 in the middle of the Apollo program. I don't believe it. That's not Sally, that's Judy. She's our chimp. You gotta be kidding. Oh, of course it's Judy. She's our compound pet. Gentlemen, you are sadly mistaken. Look, she's wearing an authentic NASA space helmet. Now, if she weren't Sally, what would she be doing with that helmet? Well, that's a tough thing to answer, but believe me, you are making a mistake. Please, young man, we've got no time for jokes. Uh, doctor, I assure you, if anybody's playing jokes, it's Judy here. Come on, Judy. Don't touch that chimp. This whole time, Judy is in a plastic helmet that says astronaut across the forehead. She's just whistling and grinning and shaking her head. Is it genius? No, not at all. But is it hilarious if you're eight years old? Absolutely. In one episode, Jack Evans from the Tampa Bay Times discovered that the adventure focused around a hippopotamus. And, and Lou maybe made an appearance in, in, the, in, in 
Daftari. The park kind of presented as like a major part of his biography. Like Luke was the star of this TV show. And like from what I was able to find, which there's not a lot of extant information online about Daftari, but there are a couple of blogs that have like pretty detailed episode guides. And uh, there are some YouTube videos that exist also. I was able to find a lot about uh, hippos in Daktari, uh, but there was one episode uh, in, in which uh, hippos would have been around they kind of was the star of an episode. That hippo he's talking about is, of course, Lucifer the hippo, but we'll just call him Lou. He is the oldest hippo still alive in captivity, and he resides in a central pool of the Homosassa Springs Wildlife State Park, the only non-native animal in a park full of Florida originals. Lou is a state citizen now, thanks to Governor Lawton Childs. He's a naturalized hippopotamus. He's the last remnant of an entire animal acting troupe that was brought to this little river off the Gulf of Mexico, many of which were his co-stars on Doctari. This spring had been through decades of change, with no one quite finding the right way to survive along its brackish waters, but under new ownership in 1964, animals, native and otherwise, finally brought Homosasa to life. I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. Last week, I told you about all of the men who arrived to Homosasa with big dreams and left in failure. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, I would recommend you do so now because some of the things talked about in this episode may not make complete sense without it. This week, the story of the animals who have lived at Homosasa and the people who have cared for them throughout the years. It's Homosasa Part 2, Native Animals. I was the only person on the tram en route to the main entrance of Homosassa Springs. There are two parking lots here, and I went to the wrong one. There are two means of transit then to get from one parking lot to the other. One is the tram that I took rattling along a paved road through a forest, and the other is a river cruise. This is a remnant from the 1960s when Homosassa was owned by a man named Bruce Norris. Norris saw the potential for tourism here by making the springs a sort of jungle adventure, and part of that was likely inspired by Disneyland's ever-popular Jungle Cruise. Norris dredged up land and created an artificial waterway called Pepper Creek. Pontoon jungle boats would carry guests along the Florida wilderness and drop them off at the entrance to the park proper. The pontoons still run, but they take a little longer. I was in a rush because, honestly, I just wanted to see the hippo. Once you've arrived, some historic signs greet you. One shows an incorrect caricature of a Native American woman with feathers in her hair, shooting an arrow at a bullseye that is located near Homosassa on a map of Florida. It reads, Don't Miss Homosassa Springs, Nature's Own Attraction. Another sign has an outline of a giant fish which reads, Walk Underwater. It is older than the former, and advertises the original fishbowl at the spring. Once inside, you pass a gift shop and a cafe, and finally, you have arrived. To the left is the fishbowl, to the right you will see a loo. The famous hippo, Lou, was born on January 26, 1960 at the San Diego Zoo where he lived for many years. Apparently, he struggled to live comfortably with a female hippo, so the zoo gave him to a man named Ivan Tours, whose troupe of animal actors had become a staple in Hollywood in the 1960s. 
Ivan Tours, spelled T-O-R-S, was a Hungarian-born writer who moved from Budapest to the United States in his 20s. He joined up in the Army Air Corps during World War II and through his service made contacts that allowed him to start working as a writer for Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, also known as MGM. Over the next several decades, Ivan Tours would create television and movies that focused on family-friendly stories, most of which dealt with exploration, science fiction, or animals. His first major production was a television show called Sea Hunt, starring Lloyd Bridges, the father of Jeff and Bo Bridges. Tours was a producer on 135 episodes of Sea Hunt, which focused on environmental protection as a central theme. Throughout the show's four years, production would wind up in Florida, where, in meeting with locals, Ivan Tours met a man named Riku Browning. Browning himself was secretly one of the biggest stars in the adventure genre. He was the underwater stunt performer who played the monster in 1954's huge hit, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Science couldn't explain it, but there it was, alive, in the deep, deep waters of the Amazon. A throwback to a creature that had existed a hundred million years ago, immensely strong and destructive. A woman's beauty, the bait that brought it out of its lair. Browning, a Florida native, was a great friend to Hollywood production in our state. He eventually started doing stunts and playing villains in Sea Hunt. He and Ivan Tours were fast friends. They formed a production company called Underwater Studios and came up with an idea that would change both of their lives forever. According to an amazing profile on Ivan Tours in the Biscayne Times from 2012, Browning conceived of a very simple concept. What if you do the story of Lassie, of a boy and his dog, but instead of a dog, the central animal could be, instead, a dolphin. In 1963, with a story by Riku Browning, produced by Ivan Tours, a movie named Flipper was released, and their lives were never the same. But now for the first time, a glamorous new star has been discovered in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. It's Flipper, the fabulous dolphin. What kind of a movie is this? It's a brand new entertainment experience, like a fresh ocean breeze. It's the story of a dolphin, an amazing one, and a boy who becomes his friend. And it's the story of their wonderful adventures together. Twelve years earlier, in the holiday season of 1951, Paramount Pictures released a movie called Crosswinds. It's an unknown little movie disappearing into the ether of the thousands of other movies that came out during this particular era in Hollywood history. It starred John Payne, best known for his role as Fred in the original Miracle on 34th Street, and Rhonda Fleming, once known as the Queen of Technicolor because of her natural beauty. In the 1950s, Fleming and Payne did four films together, all of which were adventure dramas. Rhonda Fleming starred in countless roles as the stunning love interest as color filmmaking became more prominent. She worked with everyone, Errol Flynn, Bob Hope, Ronald Reagan, but in 1951, Rhonda and Payne made their second of four movies together, set in New Guinea, called Crosswinds. It follows a crew of adventurers into the jungle in search of a downed plane which is believed to have a massive treasure chest filled with gold. It has sunk to the bottom of a jungle river, and the crew goes to seek it out, only to meet naval conflict, dangerous animals, and, of course, offensive characterizations of quote-unquote natives. It doesn't really stand out in history because Crosswinds was just one of hundreds of movies exactly like this one. 
The 1950s saw more jungle adventures than Hollywood had ever tried before. Everyone was racing to get involved in this genre, and Rhonda Fleming was one of its most prominent stars. But naturally, filming in a real jungle was potentially dangerous, so American waters were safest. With that in mind, Paramount sent the crew of Crosswinds across the country to a tiny waterway right off the Gulf of Mexico called Homosasa Springs. That was this area's first brush of Hollywood stardom. Ivan Tours made a ton of money off of that exact same genre of cinema, and by the 1960s, he had made a second Flipper movie, started a Flipper television show in 1964, and launched a handful of animal-centric movies and TV shows, including Doctari. The original Flipper movie was a surprise hit, grossing millions by the end of 1963. His handful of other movies are relatively forgotten. They are called Zebra in the Kitchen, Namu the Killer Whale, and a very strange movie called Around the World, Under the Sea. Tours became a machine, creating pictures in this style at a rapid pace. The Flipper TV show and the film sequel went into production at the exact same time in 1964 and premiered within months of each other. Tours had an influx of cash that would support his career goals, and he used it to open a production facility in Miami, the largest of its kind in the state. But the studio was just that, a studio. Tours had garnered a collection of animals that were gaining in popularity, and he needed somewhere for them to live in comfort. Luckily, there was a developer named Bruce Norris who bought massive stock in Ivan Tours Productions. Hoping to compete with the burgeoning theme park industry, Norris saw that a zoo that not only featured amazing animals, but famous animals, could be massively profitable. So, as Tours developed his Miami studio in the mid-1960s, his animals would take up residence at Homosasa Springs. There was, of course, Lou. There was also a bear named Buck, who was featured on one of Ivan Tours' TV shows called Gentle Ben, which was originally a novel set in Alaska, but Ivan Tours adapted it so it was set in the Everglades. Buck the bear was friendly and would often sit for pictures with little kids that would come visit him at the park. Clarence the cross-eyed lion, who really was a little cross-eyed, lived here along with his co-star chimpanzee that played Judy on Doctari. Flipper the Dolphin, as in THE Flipper the Dolphin, would sometimes pay a visit, though it seems the dolphin lived mostly near Ivan Tours' main studio in Miami. There was even a pack of spider monkeys that lived in residence. While the other larger animals were tamer and easier to manage, the spider monkeys proved to be much more mischievous. They would steal snacks from visitors and jump on people and generally wreak havoc. They were not sustainable in the park. Something needed to be done about these monkeys. G.A. Ferguson, who managed the creation of the underwater observatory, knew that there was a little pocket of land just off the Homosasa River. When the land was being developed, hard rock landscape had been blown apart and new islands and waterways were created. They didn't want to hurt the monkeys, but they needed to be removed from the park. Ferguson had a grand plan. He took the spider monkeys and he had them moved toward the isolated stone island off the river which he renamed Monkey Island. Some call it Monkey Alcatraz. For the past 50 years, a small family of spider monkeys have lived on this island, fed by locals and cared for daily. The original monkeys have passed, but if you head out to the river and peek toward the horizon, you will see a short, fake lighthouse which stands tall on Monkey Island. Maybe, if it's the right day, you'll catch a spider monkey swinging over the Florida River.
today, the park itself holds wolves, bears, panthers, eagles, bobcats, falcons, owls, pelicans, even three manatees that live there year-round. This is not a zoo. The animals here are in residence because they were either born in captivity or were injured to a point where they couldn't survive anywhere else but here. There is a golden eagle with a severely damaged wing that lives on the ground, hopping around, and well cared for. There are Florida black bears that were raised without their mothers, so they have no exterior survival skills. There is a beautiful Florida red wolf that trots around his enclosure, raising his nose in the air at the guests who stand by his window. A central enclosure of birds includes herons that peer toward the trees and a pelican who loudly clapped his wings against the water's surface as he cleaned himself. I found myself standing outside the Florida panther enclosure for a long, long time, watching my favorite animal just rest, turn themselves over, clean their fur. It's overwhelming. It's one of those places where you can feel the importance of what's being done. These animals could be anywhere, or they could even have been lost to the wild, but they are here. They're cared for, and for that moment, that feels good. They are taken care of by the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission, so they are in good hands. There are a trio of manatees that live in the spring year-round. When natural manatees go to the spring, they're moved into a private pool just for them. When the natives return to the waterway, the trio is free to roam Homosasa as they please. When I visited, one of the volunteers stood over their pool where the trio arrived for feeding, and he slowly pulled out massive heads of lettuce that he chucked into the water. The manatees each floated to the surface and gleefully dined as crowds peered into the water. The volunteer grinned, telling us their names, Ariel, Betsy, and Electra. Betsy was born in captivity, Ariel was injured at a young age in Miami, and Electra was caught in a crab trap and was moved here after briefly living in SeaWorld, Orlando. There is a wonder in the eyes of those watching this trio of manatees. It's not hard to imagine why. Ivan Tours eventually left Homosasa. His shows were slowly left behind in the 1960s. He had a few other projects in the 70s, but the success of the Flipper era never returned. He eventually passed on June 4th, 1983. Though the park continued to change, Lou the Hippo soon became a staple for the property and became a beloved friend to the employees of the park. In the early 1980s, under new ownership, veterinary care became an operation along these shores. A vet from the Miami Seaquarium named Jesse White had visited and suggested that the park could be a perfect place for manatees in need of rehab to receive proper care. In 1984, there were offers to redevelop this land and turn it into an RV park or condominiums, but the county resisted. Citrus County took the property back, and on June 1st, 1989, the park was renamed the Homosassa Springs Wildlife State Park. Today, the park is a bubble, a quiet one safe and secluded. Manatees are still cared for year-round. Animals that can be rehabilitated are, and when they're well, they are released back into the wild. The park itself is a collection of all the places it has been before. It has taken its name from its first settlers. One of the main roads is named after David Levi Yuli. The underwater observatory still rests below the surface, and you can walk down and see the wall of fish. Monkey Island still stands on the river, the manatees take up their quiet residence, and Lucifer the hippo 
is still here. It's amazing that, in nearly 200 years of recorded settlement in this area, the thing that has been the most consistent is... the hippo. The most out-of-place thing is the linchpin at the core of this place's character. He is a transplant to Florida. He was not born in Florida. There's no one else like him in Florida. And Florida has had to bend just slightly in order for him to have a place. If that doesn't make him a true Floridian, I don't know what would. As of this episode's release, Homosassa has been closed for two weeks. Governor Ron DeSantis, as a means to counter the coronavirus, ordered all state parks be closed effective March 23rd, 2020. Our animal friends, native and otherwise, are still at the spring, waiting for us. When the doors reopen and our parks welcome us back, it will give me a great comfort to know that Homosassa has survived yet again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I am so glad that you are here. If you are brand new to the show, or even if this is your first episode, welcome. There are some really incredible stories waiting for you. If you're looking for a good place to jump in, you don't need to go all the way back to the beginning. Might I recommend episodes similar to this one? Pretty much all of my episodes about animals. I've written about manatees, bats, sandhill cranes, sea turtles. All of them have their own episodes. Check those out below. If you did enjoy this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review below. It helps the show become more visible, and it means the world to me. You can also find me and share the episodes on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. You can also find me at WFMNick on Twitter. If you want to send me a message, you can do so at WFMPod at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. I'd like to give a special shout out to Katherine Turner at the Citrus County Old Courthouse Heritage Museum for her help in the research for this episode. I'd also like to thank Jack Evans, who wrote an amazing profile of Lou the Hippo for the Tampa Bay Times. You really should read it. He also has a recommendation on how and why you should support local journalism, especially at a time like this. To say it simply, like, you need us and we need you. Um, because at this moment, like, at any point in life, but especially right now, like, you need accurate, up-to-date, context-driven information in order to live. The more local you get, the more context you're going to have, and the more useful that news is going to be for you. Um, national news is awesome. I, I love and admire so many national and international publications and outlets, um, but when you're consuming local journalism, you're connecting with the news in a way that informs your life on a really granular, concrete level. Um, and, and, and you should pay for that. You should subscribe to it because, like, the people who are doing that work are working really hard to do it. And you see it as a service to you. Like, we really want to help you. Um, and we really want you to, to live your best lives and feel like you're informed about what's happening in your community, in your city, in your county, in your state. Um, and to feel connected to that stuff um, at like a personal level. And we work really hard to do that. And, and we work really hard so that people feel like they are seen and heard and represented. You can donate or subscribe to the Tampa Bay Times at the links below. 
Speaking of these trying times, there are many, many ways that you can support your local Florida community during this crisis. I've included some links at the top of the description below so you can support those around you. Thanks to Lauren Nix for our work used on the social media channels. You can find more of her work at lauren.nix.photo on Instagram. Nix is spelt N-I-X. All the music used in this episode is from Lobo Loco. You can find more of their fabulous music at the link below as well. I'll be back next Monday with a brand new episode. Until then, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourself, be good to others, drink more water, and please, if you can, stay home. Have a good week.